All right, well, last week uh, we, we started the book of Genesis, so if you've got a Bible or an app, you can make your way to Genesis chapter 1. Mark talked all about creation and, and showed that in, incredible picture from the Hubble telescope, you know, that pillars of creation. So no matter how deep you look into space or whatever, you see these inc- incredible, just breathtaking, uh, just evidences of, of God's creative force. I love what John Calvin says just about creation, just in general. There is not one blade of grass. There is no color in this world that is not intended to make us rejoice. There's this aspect that like, you're supposed to like kind of come alive when you see different aspects of creation. There's, it's intentionally, it's like God is sending radio waves you know, through all of his creation that are picked up by an antenna in our, in our hearts and souls to like awaken and rejoice as we look out there. And I was thinking about that. Because I've got a, a good friend, he, he helps a lot uh, with the work in Zambia, but he's an entomologist and, and photographer as well. So I, I got this picture from my friend Dr. Marlon Rice of these, of these bugs. These are little tiny stink bugs, not the stink bugs we have. These are found more, they're actually from India and China. I've read a little on them. I kind of geek out when I look at Marlon's work. But Marlon took this picture of these little stink bugs. You guys, look at how magnificent they are, right? Look at those red eyes and the coloring and all this. Now, if, if you saw that like in, in real life without the close-up of his camera, they're so tiny you'd never even hardly be able to detect it. What I'm trying to say is whether you're looking and you have to look through a telescope to see the grandeur of what's out there that even your naked eye can't see, or the opposite, look through a microscope or whatever to see just the tiniest thing. Everywhere we look, there is just this like phenomenal, like, wow, God, you, you spent a lot of time just creating this little stink bug, <laughs> you know what I mean, that we would take for granted, maybe just slap it and wreak the smell or whatever. It's glorious. So all I'm saying is um, we should look around at creation and find it to be awesome. I, I actually use that word awesome too frequently, and it starts losing its, its meaning. So I, I looked up, here's the definition of awesome. Inspiring an overwhelming feeling of reverence and admiration. That's what the word awesome is supposed to describe, an overwhelming feeling of reverence and admiration. So when we look at creation, that should be, it should make us feel like, oh, that's awesome, right? Well, that feeling of awe, guys, is just going to increase now as we look at today, just two verses, actually, okay? We're in Genesis 1. We're just going to look at verses 26 and 27. After all this grandeur of creation that he swept us through, through Genesis 1, we get to this epic part. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So after having this awesome look at all of creation from Genesis 1-1 all the way through, and he's, let there be, let there be, let there be, just, and it just keeps going and going, wow, look at all the wonder. He zeroes in, uh, creates man and woman, and then here is the real splendor. Here's the real awesome part. Hands them the keys to the whole thing. Hands it all over to them. Everything you've seen, and, and, and he lists all the stuff, the whole world. He's like, ah, oh, let's create man and woman. And then here, 
Here's the keys. It's all yours. What? So I was trying to get my mind wrapped around these truths that we could kind of blow by too quickly, I think, and too quick of a reading. And this illustration came to mind. Now, here's the deal. I'm up against Mark Arendt, who is like the greatest illustrator, you know, storyteller on the planet, I think. You know, he's got Yugos and all sorts of cool things. It'll be memorable forever. I don't remember what it was about, but I remember the Yugo. Anyway, um, great storyteller. I've got the worst illustration on the planet. Maybe it was memorable for its badness. Um, I was thinking of Willy Wonka, okay? And I'm talking about the old Willy Wonka. Well, okay, for most of you, the old Willy Wonka was the 2005 version. (laughs) That was a long time ago. No, no, no. I'm going way back. 1971. Okay, I'm talking about the Gene Wilder Iowa grad, by the way, if you ever go to Jeans down in the Ped Mall, it's Gene Wilder. Anyway, I digress. Willy Wonka, 1971. Here's what happens. Uh, Willy Wonka, incredible chocolate factory, all secret. Nobody knows what really goes on there, but this, uh, this little group of kids gets to go in, and, and one of those is Charlie Bucket. I mean, this little kid from poverty just doesn't have any money, nothing, just poor, poor Charlie Bucket. Gets to go in, and, and after seeing all the splendor of the Wonka chocolate factory, you know, and eating the cream out of the mushrooms, and, you know, the chocolate river, blah, 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 the Oompa Loompas, everything, all that, you know. At the end, you know what happens at the end? And by the way, if I'm going to spoil the ending, it's okay. You guys have had since 1971 to see this. It's on you, not on me. Okay, so anyway, at the end, you know, they get in the Wonka Vader, and boom, blast it, and, and uh, man, Willy Wonka gives him the whole thing. I, I've been wanting to give this to you. You're the one. He goes from abject poverty to seeing the splendor and wonder of this entire thing. And at the end, it's like, hey, it's yours. Man, I've been waiting for you. It's yours. Okay, as bad as that illustration is, I'm trying to say that's what's going on in Genesis 1. The splendor. He's been asking us to look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. Oh, incredible. Look deep into space, look down at the tiniest blade of grass and what's on it, and I'm telling you, it's all yours. Have it. I'm giving it to you. There's a whole psalm that is actually dedicated to that wonder and to raise the awe factor. It's Psalm 8. Listen to this. Psalm 8 says, Lord our God, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you've established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to to silence the enemy and the avenger. Oh man, when I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, here's what I think when I look at that. What is a human being that you would even remember him, a son of man that you look after him? Yet you've made him... Just a little less than God. You, you crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All the sheep, the oxen, as well as animals in the wild, birds of the sky, fish of the sea, the pests of the currents of the seas. Look, the only responsible response. Lord our God, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth, right? That, I, I really do. I think that whole psalm is basically... The rightful response to reading Genesis 1, 26 and 27. I can't believe this, God. And I look around at all you've created. Who am I? This little speck, this, you know, punk from Osage, Iowa. What? You give it all to us. This is craziness. So what I want to do this morning is allow Genesis and Psalm 8 kind of invite us into this incredible 
story. And I want us to dwell here for a minute before we keep going, especially before we get to Genesis 3, when the story has a, has a pretty dark turn. They cry. I want to live and dwell in what's going on here in Genesis 1. And the first thing that I, I think we, we should be drawn into is this, this idea. Guys, we should be fascinated with creation. I believe with all my heart, guys, Genesis 1 is written the way that it is to like create this fascination for his creation. Nobody should be more enthralled. Guys, nobody should be more curious about creation than followers of Christ. I believe that with all my heart. And nobody should want to take care of it more than followers of Christ. Guys, how do you think Charlie Bucket took care of the chocolate factory after he got it. You know what I mean? Do you think the Oompa Loompas started worrying that he was going to, you know, be mean to him after that and start kicking him around? No, the Oompa Loompas were safe because he's like, oh man, I've never met such, ah, you know. And you, Do you think Charlie Bucket started throwing a bunch of junk into the chocolate river? You know, no, of course not. He's thinking, I can't believe this. I've got to preserve it. I've got to take care of it. I've got to, I want to make this the best it's ever been because now it's been given to me, right? Here's what I'm saying. That should be... Our, our attitude, we've been given such an incredibly great gift. So, guys, I, I hope you know this. Historically, some of the greatest scientists, some of the greatest inventors, some of the greatest research, some of the greatest explorers, some of the greatest farmers have been followers of Christ. I, I started looking around. I made such a short list. It, it's just such a long list. But like Galileo, Isaac Newton... Blaise Pascal, George Washington Carver. Guys, George Washington Carver just alone, as deep Iowa roots, right? First black student allowed into Iowa State University, became the first black professor at Iowa State University right here. Saved thousands upon thousands of lives because he was so fascinated. No matter what came his way, so many hurdles that he had to get over. But what loved Jesus with all of his heart, since a child he had come to know Jesus through this kid, it's a Awesome, awesome story. Loved Jesus and was fascinated with what the ground could do. And he figured out how to rotate crops, figured out how to save, save the south. It was an unbelievable story because he was fascinated with God's creation. He thought, I know what we could do to work this, right? Francis Collins, uh, you know, still alive and well. Uh, I, I remember reading his book, The Language of God, how tracking DNA, the genome project, you know, this brilliant mind, by looking deeper and deeper into the tiniest thing of, of the genome project and DNA, discovered there's a creator behind it, and it, that eventually led him to give his life to Jesus Christ. Like, what I'm saying is some of the greatest minds have been those that have seen God behind all this creation, and it's caused them to want to love creation, to join God in seeing how good it all is, right? So I just want to say, again, it was actually Mark's application after he taught last week, take a moment and just walk around, stand under those stars and, and talk to the creator. Look at the leaves that are now beginning to fall and the colors, that are gonna, whatever it is, I'm saying the blade of grass, the stars, man, catch some bugs, catch a stink bug, whatever, you know, and just get caught up in the wonder, be fascinated with creation. But this verse uh, 26 and 27 actually now tells us another thing. Be especially fascinated with people. Okay? 
this is where it takes a turn and I think has to go deeper into our souls. This language of, you know, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So, so the, the narrative before this has been, you know, birds and animals after their kind and after their kind. And birds, they, they reproduce after their kind, that, that repeated phrase. And now he comes to mankind, he's like, oh, I'm going to make one after my kind. It's crazy. It's an abrupt change in the whole narrative kind of repetition. No, no, no. Now I, I'm going to fashion mankind after my image, set apart from all other created wonders. Well, I'm going to show you a picture, you know, last week, that, that Hubble telescope thing, which, by the way, is now being eclipsed. Oh, that's a fun word to use when I'm talking about space, eclipsed. Anyway, just to realize that, um, by the James Webb pictures, have you seen some of those uh, pictures coming back from that telescope and all that? So Mark, Mark got a, a great photo up there. Today, I want us to look at a far more complex, far more spectacular work of creation. Um, check this out. This is Henry Kunda, okay? This is Henry Kunda. Okay, I got to just say, it, you can't really see the signature down there, but that's Austin Claver uh, on staff here actually drew uh, this picture of our friend uh, Henry Kunda from Africa. Here's the thing about Henry Kunda. I was just actually using WhatsApp to talk to him this, this last week. He's a subsistence farmer. That's a hard word to say. You know what that means? A subsistence farmer just means that you're a farmer that basically makes enough out of your ground, enough produce out of your ground to feed your starving family, and then that's it. There's not much left to go to the market and sell to get other stuff. You, you just subsist on farming. You just survive. And they're happy about it. They're so happy when I was just texting with one of his buddies that lives down the road, Winter. I'm like, how'd your crops come in? How are things, you know, got enough to feed my family? And they just thank God. They're just rejoicing. They're subsistence farmers, but they don't think they're in poverty. They think, oh, God's provided for all that we have. Here's what, here's what I'm saying. To meet Henry is to encounter something more magical, more filled with wonder, far more memorable than staring out at the wonders of space for hours at a time. Meet one image bearer and you have come up against a touch of God that is marvelous to behold. Guys, there is a reflection of God in every human being that you encounter. If we would take a moment to really get fascinated again with the people that surround us, and to realize that even those that are rejecting God bear this unmistakable image of God. Like, have you, have you guys ever seen, now, maybe you've seen Raya Scott running around here, 15-year-old girl. If you ever see her run, it's like a gazelle. It's, it, it's like, oh, that's the way humans were meant to run. Like, I didn't get that. Somehow, you know, after Genesis 3, things kept getting broken by the time they got to me. I never got that, that gene, you know, but you see something like Raya Scott, you know, running, and you're just like, whoa, wow, that's it's like magical, right? Have you ever seen somebody like Cole Borwick crunch numbers? So here's the deal. All of the monies that we give, you know, he takes care of them. You guys, we get these reports back. Every dime, every, everything's calculated and put in its place. And I'm like, guys, I can't remember how old I am. I, I, numbers so fade away. And there are people that have this magical way of like, you know, just sorting and knowing and remembering. It's, 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 I think it's amazing. I've got this guy, John, a friend of mine, helping me build this thing in my backyard. 
and watching him create, not only understand design and strength and how to keep things solid, but then the aesthetic to make it look good. Guys that have skilled with their hands. I told him this last week, I'm like, John, you could just tell me what to do all day long and maybe I could just follow instructions. It's not in me to know how to just create, right? But there are people that know how to do that. It's unbelievable. Guys, we have doctors and and researchers, I, I got to meet this researcher just this week in our city here. Um, she has discovered there's this mineral in the ground that now when, when a soldier is, is shot out on the front lines and they've got a wound, there's, there's this stuff that you can pour in a wound. But now she's discovered this mineral that not only will, will the stuff that you pour in there stop the bleeding, but it will actually stop any kind of infection and all like, this kind of research is going on. Thousands of lives will be saved because they figured out something from the earth could be used to do magic. Because they've got the creator's mind. You know, she loves Jesus. and It was fun. Guys, think about teachers who understand how to unlock. I mean, a couple of our kids had a hard time reading. And it was like that, that hurdle, right? And teachers that know how to, like, unlock that and create hunger for learning and Guys, I think if we had a serious curiosity about every image bearer that we meet in all the diversity of all the different stuff they bring to the table, I think we might think better of our fellow man. (laughs) I think we might think better of all the people that are all around us, and we'd want to invite them to join our family of worshipers because they bring something so cool to the table, and we just want them to be part of our family. Okay, these verses, I think, do heighten our awareness, which is creation, especially his his special creation of mankind. Here's where I want to land, though, in the time we have left. Guys, I believe that we need to treasure the design of gender. Okay? Feel the room getting cool as I say that. Let me read these verses again. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They're going to rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, the creatures that crawl on the ground. I'm going to give it all to mankind. So here's the way I'm going to do it. God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. And very specifically, he created them male and female. Now, it's not just humans that are given this incredible creative twist of this like binary creation. You see this binary aspect of creation going on all throughout creation. I even was, was doing a little digging. There are a whole lot of even plants and trees that are like gendered. Did you know that? They're like binary in that way. Like red cedars. You know, we see cedar. It's a beautiful wood. Red cedar trees are actually male or female. I remember years ago we were going to grow uh, bittersweet on our fence line. You see it out in the country roads, bittersweet growing and Sometimes people go out and cut it and decorate with it and stuff, you know? Uh, bittersweet. Well, I remember I was going to grow it, and then the person at the nursery said, oh, make sure you get a male and a female. I'm like, what? You know, do you check under a leaf? How do you know if it's male? I don't know. But some people know how to do that, but you got to have a male and a female. So many, even plants and trees, right? Crazy how it's just woven throughout. Even willow trees, all, all sorts of different things out there. Not all, but many. Uh, and... We're going to find out when we get to Genesis 2, by the way, a, a deeper explore into how, how he's going to show Adam this binary gender thing through the animal kingdom. But, but, but why? 
Why did, you know, here's God, he can do anything. He's creating things out of nothing, right? He created this glorious binary way to just be fascinating to us. Well, I think it, at some level, God created us to, of course, be dependent on him. But also, you guys, in a glorious way, to be dependent on one another. I think he created us with a dependent that goes both vertically like this, but horizontally. Like, we're not autonomous. Any one of us alone is incomplete without some other aspect of creation bringing completeness, right? We'll talk again when he circles back to this idea in Genesis 2. We'll get there in a couple weeks. But guys, this is why we don't erase gender distinctions. And we don't mess with that stuff. In fact, we celebrate it. We're fascinated by it. So yeah, I need to state the obvious. It's what we're all thinking. This basic teaching, I mean, we have not even got out of chapter 1 of Genesis, page 1 of our book, right? And already we're stumbling upon something that um, is rejected outright by many in, in our culture. We know that, right? I don't know, there w- would have been many, many days that you could have blown right by these verses, and there's going to be a lot that's contested down the road, but this one wouldn't have been, really, you know what I mean? But, but now, yeah, we live in a culture that's increasingly like untethered from the creator and, and the creator's book. Remember how in the book of Judges, in the book of Judges in the Old Testament, it says it got to the point where everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. That's kind of the way we've gotten to, right, as a culture, like people just doing whatever's right in their own eyes, kind of a thing, untethered. But it was interesting, I was talking through this passage with a couple of the guys that I, uh, I read through the Bible with, and uh, one of my buddies, he goes, you know, this whole pattern of order, it just seems like Genesis 1 is all about ordering, you know, put light, hey, water, you go here and there, and, you know, light, darkness, everything gets ordered. He goes, yeah, order fits just the whole pattern of chapter one. Really, the whole Bible is full of God putting things in order. Look, I know we're given the keys to the whole thing, but we should follow his roadmap. We should follow the, that pattern. I'm like, well, that's true, <laughs> right? We should follow the pattern of the creator who puts everything in order. So here's what I want to do in, in the few moments we have left. How do we posture ourselves as Christians when it comes to this whole idea of gender and how now we're finding that to be uh, a point of contention. How do we posture ourselves, you guys? I want to start by saying I do think it would be a mistake to come into the sweep of Genesis 1, get to here to verse 26 and 27, and suddenly want to weaponize Genesis 1 to like go after those people out there that don't believe this stuff. Right? I feel like even, it's all around our culture, but even within the church, we can find ourselves with this posture that kind of wants us to either kind of take on those secularists out there that don't believe this stuff, or, or the other ditch we find is, is we got to cower, we got to hide because they're coming after us and they don't believe this stuff and they want to take our kids and they want to take our, you know, like the, either come out on the attack or like hide, run, you know, kind of a thing. Here's what I think first and foremost, guys. As God's people, we are to cherish and protect and teach a broken and hurting world that there is a good, good Father who designed and created us with this glorious gift of gender. And it's for our good. 
It's like what John Calvin said, wait to me. It's, it, it makes us happy. There's happiness when we just discover the creation of God and, and walk in it, right? But I think it begins here. I think it begins in his church. Long before it, it's to change the world and our culture, I think it's got to change us. I just, I want to take a few moments to talk to parents, okay? Or future parents. Um, so here we've got in Genesis the beginning of all things, and Moses is writing this, this book. In fact, he writes the first five books. We call them the Pentateuch, five, like the Pentagon has five sides, Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. When you get to the last book that he writes, Deuteronomy, here's what he says. He's kind of summing things up after five big, long books. He says this, hey, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be on your heart. And then he says this, repeat them to your children. Take all these things that I'm, I'm teaching you, let them churn around your heart, and then repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them on your hand. Let them be a symbol on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house, on your gates. Here's what he's saying. Teach your children. Parents, I want to just say, what do your children hear you talk about? What do they hear you talk about? Is it the Hawkeyes? You know, is it politics? Is it money? Is it, you know, chores? What, what do they hear coming out of America? Because what Moses, who's writing this book, is saying is, parents, teach your children the glory of a creator God. That's what they need to hear you talk about. Point at the stuff in creation. Show them how glorious this creator is. Teach them to love the Lord their God with all their heart. Let it fill their whole being that they are gloriously just reflect their image bearers. Teach them about that. And along the way, you teach them what it means to be male and female. And we glory in that. And we teach them how wonderful it is and how beautiful it is, right? It's to be celebrated, honored. And guys, parents, it should look like something. It should look like something. Now, don't get all weird. Don't, don't take it further. That's what Pharisees do. They take it further than it's supposed to be, right? It doesn't mean that boys can't, you know, play house and girls can't play army or something. I don't know. You can, don't, don't get all weird with it, you know. Don't, don't take it too far. But it does mean, guys, that genders are distinct. It does. Boys should look like boys and act like boys. Girls should look like girls and act like girls. He's, he's like, no, this will be beautiful if you just embrace it. And, and it's not a social construct. It's not something we made up. God wants to do something beautiful as we live this stuff out. There's, there's this great quote by George MacDonald. Actually, it was his children's stories that inspired Tolkien. George MacDonald inspired C.S. Lewis. He wrote these beautiful children's stories. Here's what George MacDonald said. I would rather be what God chose to make me than the most glorious creature that I could think of. For to have been thought about, born in God's thought, and then made by God is the dearest, grandest, and most precious thing in all thinking. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That's the posture, guys. It's to celebrate it and to think, wow, God had me in mind and designed me to be just like I am, that's enough for me. I want to glory in that. So here's what we know. 
I do believe that's the posture. I do believe that's what Genesis 1 would have us do, is to glory. The way we're glorying in stars and stink bugs, right? We glory in, in gender and, and all that God has made us as image bearers, maleness and femaleness. But then the time comes when, of course, the truth of this book comes into direct conflict with culture, even with authorities. I've got, we've got people in the room who this very idea of gender has actually cost them vocation, conflict. So what happens when we decide we can't waver on something as foundational as gender, but find that there's maybe even an authority structure that doesn't, doesn't want to hear Genesis 1, right? There's a great passage, you guys, in 1 Peter 3, and, and here's how we're going to close. 1 Peter chapter 3, and he starts by saying something. Man, when I reread this this week, it really caught me. The very first verse of 1 Peter 3.13 uh, says this. Who will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? This is 1 Peter 3.13. Here, here's, I'm just going to stop there for a second. Because Peter's almost saying proverbial, proverbially, <laughs> like a proverb. Um, for the most part, if you do what's good, you won't run into conflict, right? If you're a good neighbor, usually your neighbors are pretty decent back. If you're good at work and do your work, for the most part, bad stuff won't happen to you, okay? So do well, do good, be a good image bearer, and for the most part, things go well. But here's the reason he's, he's starting this is because what he's gonna follow it with, because not always, okay? But, verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you're blessed. Don't fear what they fear. Don't be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that's in you. Yet do this, guys, this is so important. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Guys, this book is so powerful and so important for us. That I think if our posture is just to keep a clear conscience and just rejoice in, in the truth of God and to live it out, and, but, but if all of a sudden, just by embracing what our creator has, has, has written into creation and written to us in this book, if that runs into conflict, even then this book guides us into how to, how, to, how to step into that, right? And the first thing is that we would have the character of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. How did Jesus Christ run into conflict? With gentleness and respect. He went down for it, right? We're, we're about to celebrate communion, you guys. What does communion celebrate? The death of Jesus Christ. Because he's a truth speaker. He spoke what was true. He wasn't going to back down. We have, the, we have the unbelievable pattern of Jesus Christ. And what Peter is saying is, hey, for the most part, guys, here's what I believe. The image bearers that surround you in your neighborhood, your workplace, for the most part, they know that there are such a things as boys and girls. Right? For the most part. Don't pick fights with everybody you see. 
Most image bearers have that truth. It's very obvious to them as they look around the puppy world, right, and even some of the tree world, whatever. And they look at human world, and they, oh, totally. It's indisputable. So don't go around picking fights. Don't imagine the worst about everybody. Don't imagine that everybody out there thinks. Okay, so stop there, right? And then if all of a sudden you do bump up against, especially somebody in control, in authority, or that even then, Oh, Jesus, help me keep a clear conscience. I, I want to step into this, and I, I want to model what it means to have gentleness and respect. I want, to, I want a clear conscience. Jesus, help me follow your way. Here's what I want to do uh, as we go to communion. Will you stand with me? I want to pray, but specifically I want to pray for us that we would learn to have the mind of Christ in this what should be just a, a, a moment of celebrating God's truth and God's creation. But I know that sometimes that can be a tough thing, so I want to pray for us. So Jesus, right now I want to pray, pray, Lord. There are families here right now that this is actually a point of contention heartache, confusion, people in workplaces. It's hard, God, because when something so obvious to us is challenged, we get defensive, we want to we fight, we want to, Lord, please give us the mind of Christ. Please, Lord, help us to learn what it is to speak with honor and respect. Help us to look into the eyes of whoever that is and realize that's an image bearer. They, too, reflect you in some glorious way. And help us to be fascinated with everybody that we encounter, e e even those that might even posture themselves as our enemies. Lord, all of us in our sin have, have brought brokenness into this world. Help us to be a means of grace and healing. Help us to help others actually turn, turn things right side up after they've been turned so upside down. Guide us in your truth. Lord, your word is truth. So glorious, so awesome in every sense of the word. So strengthen us, help us to believe what's true, celebrate what's true. And if it comes to defend what's true, give us the character to do so in a way that honors you, Jesus. That's how we pray to you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. So guys, we're going to worship. And as we do, uh, there are communion tables set up around the back or on the front. If you're newer to Veritas, anyone who is a follower of Christ is welcome to our table. We say welcome to the table. This is our opportunity to go back and say, hey, the only reason our minds can, can think clearly and, and align to the creator is because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. In our brokenness, he came, paid the price so that we could live and, and, and find truly new life. So we welcome you to the table as we worship, as we sing. You can make your way to the tables or gluten-free options also, uh, if need be, because we just want to say welcome. Let's celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's do that together.